NapperBroadcasting.com. Controversy, fun, and conversation. All the things that radio used to be. If you're going to be traveling this holiday season, the scenarios are usually either packing the kids in the car with backseat videos blaring away or going online to look for the cheapest airfare. It probably doesn't include, particularly if you're a 66-year-old writer, director, and famed filmmaker, going to the AAA to find the best route to hitchhike across country, thinking about what your best and worst hitchhiking experiences might be, and then finding a very different reality out there on the roads. But that's exactly what John Waters, creator of Pink Flamingos, Mondo Trasho, and Hairspray did back in the spring of 2012. The story of that journey is his seventh book, Carsick, and it is my pleasure to welcome John Waters to the program. John, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, and I didn't have to hitchhike anywhere to do this show, so it's good. Even better. Yeah. Talk a little bit about selling this idea, because as as you say, it was one of the shortest pitches in history. Well, yeah, I just said, uh, you know, I went to FSG, my last publisher, and they had done well with role models, and I said, well, here's the pitch. Uh, You know, I'll walk out of my house in Baltimore and hitchhike uh, alone to my apartment in San Francisco with nobody following me and completely do it on my own. And um, they said yes. And, uh, And so I wrote the two beginning parts of the book as me fantasizing about the very best rides of sex and adventure and, and then the very worst rides, which some people say they can't tell the difference, but uh, the worst rides and the best rides of me, and then I get murdered, actually, which, of course, is the worst thing that can happen when you get shot. And then I did it for real, where I met people that were incredibly kind, but I, I forgot how long you have to wait to get a ride. Even in the worst part, I didn't imagine standing there 10 hours a day. But the other part of it is that the reality turned out to be relatively bland, relatively mild, in some ways one would argue reflective of America today. Yes, but I wouldn't call the really goodness of the people that picked me up bland, because in a way, it reinforced reinforced everything I believe about the basic goodness of people. And uh, I had every type, from a cop to a trucker to a single mother to uh, frackers to potheads, but everybody went out of their way to help me. And I would say half those people didn't know who I was, or even if I told them they weren't that interested, to be honest, in show business, which was quite refreshing, and uh, went out of their way. They would pull off to audition different ramps for me when they dropped drop me off. There would be a good hitchhiking place. One of the groups that picked you up was this uh, indie rock band out of Brooklyn. You spent a bunch of time with them. Yes, here we go, Magic. And uh, they're great, by the way. Um, I, I saw um, two of them came to my signing in New York last week, and it was great to see them again. Uh, and so some of the people that picked me up I have reunited with. And talk a little bit about the sandy-haired Republican from Maryland that, that you spent quite a bit of time with. Yes, he, he, I call him the Corvette Kid because he picked me up in a Corvette. It was his mother's, though. And uh, he was going to, in Millersville, Maryland, where he was the lo- youngest elected official in Maryland. He was a, a town city council or something like that, but a uh, Republican. And uh, he was on his way to get his lunch at the subway shop, and it was pouring rain. And he saw me, he picked me up, 
Once I get in, he had no idea who I was, even though I told him, never saw any of the movies or anything. But we just kept talking, and he took me all the way to Ohio, much to his parents' alarm. And then once he dropped me off, I kept going, got stuck in Ohio, stuck in Kansas. It takes a long time, David Chuck. And he kept texting me, and finally I got a big long ride in Kansas with a great couple. And he said, what do you mean? I've been driving 48 hours at 80 miles an hour to catch up with you. And I thought he was joking in a way. I thought he was just home on his computer. Well, it turned out he did, and he picked me up again in Denver and took me uh, another long, long way. So he was sort of my knight in armor, and it was hilarious because it was totally innocent. There was nothing going on, but people's eyes were raised with the two of us traveling together because he was a 20-year-old guy and me, and you know, his friends were texting him saying, way to go, you're in a motel with a known gay man. You know, it was kind of funny. We just laughed about it. Were there any rides that you turned down? No. And once you hit Shaky stand there for Ted Bundy, I said I would have gotten in with Ted Bundy if I knew it was him. Um, you know, you, you, all your things, before you leave, you always think, well, I wouldn't get in this kind of car. I wouldn't do this. But when you've been standing there 10 hours, you'll get in anything. You, yeah. But no, I never looked in. One car pulled up to stop at me, for me, and then I ran up and he looked at me and pulled away. That was embarrassing. Talk a little bit about the truck stops that you got to frequent along the way. Well, the truck stop I wrote about in the book is an outlaw one, is a, is a fictitious one I wrote in the best part, right. where they have strippers named Thumbelina, and, uh, and it's the most insanely illegal uh, trucker stop. The real ones today, um, I had a real trucker, and he was a lovely, very nice man, but um, it's the opposite of that. They do still have those kind of truck stops, but they're way, way off the main Route 70. Um, so the one I have in the book is, is my idea of the perfect one that I want to go to, which would scare most people. And, uh, but once in a while, I, I like an adventure. What were most people listening to on their car radios as uh, you drove across country? I must say, when I wrote the fictitious parts of The Best and the Worst, I have a song in every chapter that comes on the radio. Right. In real life, the radio was never on once when somebody picked me up hitchhiking. Well, hitchhiker, people that pick up hitchhikers want to talk. Um, the radio was never on ever in any car I ever got picked up in. Did that surprise you? You know, I never even thought about it till it was over, because when you get in, it's this instant kind of improv where you size each other up. It's a, it's a split-second decision the person has to pull over, and once you get in, you want to stay in. And it's, it's almost like a phone sex worker. The longer you talk, maybe the longer they'll take you or help you. So um, I, I never even thought about that till after it was over and people asked me that question. I thought, you know what? It was never on. Talk about this desire that people have to talk, even more than listening to you. As you say, sometimes you would tell them what it is that you did, and they'd still not be that interested. They wanted to talk about them. Well, I don't blame. I wanted them to talk about them. I've done my story. I have a traveling show. I do. You know, I have a Q and A session every day of my life. It seems with the public. So, to me, uh, I, I wasn't that interested. It was a relief that they weren't that interested in. Uh, you know, what's this movie star like and all that kind of stuff. I always said that I would be a good defense lawyer and a good psychiatrist if I didn't do what I did. People do tell me things. People confide into me. The secret strangers on airplanes tell me hideous stuff. And I think it's because they think I will understand. And I try to. They're right to tell me. What was the worst ride that you had? 
I don't think I had a worse ride. I guess the the worst rides are, are very short local rides because they can drop you off in a worse place. But the few times that happened, it was at the end of the day when I needed to um, find a motel, and I didn't. I had a sign that said next motel, but I felt like a hooker, so I changed it to next hotel. Even there are no hotels, but still, it looked a little classier. Um, I didn't get a bad ride. I, I don't think there is a bad ride unless you're hitchhiking, unless some crazy person picks up. I didn't even have a bad driver. They were all good drivers. Talk a little bit about what it taught you, what it told you about America today that may have surprised you. But, you know, I, I live on the East Coast, West Coast, and you always hear people snottily called the flyover people and everything. But let me tell you, these so-called flyover people were more open-minded and more willing to help than the intellectuals I know on, on the left and West Coast. Um, you know, people were... A, defied cliche. They might have been Republicans, but one guy said, well, I was for Obama when he finally came out for gay marriage. I was against him when he said it was evolving because that was bull crap, you know. You can't tell what people really think today. The one thing that they all had in common, they hate freeloaders, which is kind of funny since hitchhiking is freeloading. Right. (laughs) But they didn't relate the two necessarily. No, they didn't. To me, and I offered a lot to pay for things, and nobody would accept. You know, one one group did because they really needed it. I think you know, but uh, generally, people were very, very kind. People tried to give me money. Most many people thought I was just a homeless man. I'd say half of them did, and they would pull over sometimes and try to give me money, which so shocked me that it, it was moving. Kind of this this farmer when he pulled over to let me up, took out his wallet and tried to hand me a twenty dollar bill, and you know, I would try to convince him, no, I'm a film director. I'm writing this book, but he didn't believe me. He just thought I was a, a homeless man with delusions of grandeur. To what extent did you try to make the real journey kind of live up to what you imagined, both best and worst? The only time I really did that was when the Corvette kid picked me up in Denver. He, he was going to go all the way to San Francisco. But I got out in Reno and gave him the keys to my apartment and said, just go there. You can stay there. I need a couple more chapters. Let me hitchhike. So that was the only time, really, that, that I did that for the book. Um, I was thrilled when the trucker picked me up. I thought, oh, the book needed this, or when a cop picked me up. But that, you couldn't control it. You couldn't write it. I, I had already written a perfect example in the worst chapter that I'm the fictional part I imagined a, a really terrible animal rescuer but then a really nice one picked me up in real life I felt terrible that I had I had uh, written this hideous story about an animal rescue when the real one that picked me up could not have been nicer what was it like when the cop picked you up well he had cruised by a couple times and then he pulled over and and checked to see if I had warrants and then I just showed him my little fame kit that my assistant Susan had made that she had in it like my director's guild of America card, my academy of motion pictures like I could say by the way I vote for the Oscars like that was going to keep me out of jail but he read the whole thing without showing his hand and then he said well it doesn't say on here that you're an experienced hitchhiker so I knew he had a sense of humor so I said well then you could give me a ride and he said okay get in and he did give me a run. And how far did he take you? He could only take me within his county because it was illegal for him to take me further. But he said, well, I'll come back and check on you later. And I did get stuck there. I was there for hours. And he came back later and said, well, shake the sign or something. He was giving me hitchhiking reviews that I wasn't being aggressive enough. <laughs> and all told, you had 21 rides, yes? Yeah. And did you get the names? Do you still have the names of all the people that uh, took you for rides? 
You know, I didn't actually know some of their names. The longer I spent with them, obviously, the more you got to know them. Um, you know, if we ever smoked pot, I changed their names, but I didn't change the story. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think um, some of them I didn't ever know their names, but each one of them I gave a little um, embossed card. I had said, thanks for the left with a thumb on it, that for some reason a fan had sent me years ago, not even knowing I was going to do this book or anything, and I found them in my studio when I was looking through stuff like about two months before I left. So it was great. I don't know why, because I, I had talked about liking hitchhiking before. So a fan had sent me those years ago, and they came in very handy. What is the appeal of hitchhiking? Aside from doing it for the book and for the story, as you say, you liked it years ago. What's the appeal? The adventure of it. The um, you know, my life is very regulated. It's scheduled. I have a I have stuff on my calendar for 2015. So to me, to give all that up and and just take a chance, it was a midlife crisis of men my age by sports cars. I hitchhiked to San Francisco. How long did the whole journey take, beginning to end? Nine days it took, which is pretty, it would have taken longer if the Quebec kid hadn't come back um, and given me the ride. But I, it, as you get west, it is a little easier to get rides um, because people are, first of all, going further distances. I mean, there is plenty of room left for people in America. That's one thing I really came away with after the checking across the country. There's still a lot of empty space. Were you ever afraid at any? Did you ever get in the car with somebody that you were a little weary about? No, I didn't. I got in. I got in one car that was filled with. It was almost like, like a, you know, a hoarder's car because so much stuff was packed in there. But they had like four people, and they were hackers, and well, they were going to build housing for the hacking community somewhere, and they were chasing their pot of gold. They couldn't have been greater, though. I really, really liked them. Um, you know, at first they were smoking pot, and I thought, oh, I don't care about that. But you know, I didn't want any because I thought I can't be let out and standing alongside the road, stoned hitchhiking in the middle of somewhere where I don't know where I am. I avoided that. But uh, no, I was never scared of people, and I'm not scared of people in real life. Um, I taught in prison. I can get along with all types of people. Now you have to be wary. You can't be foolhardy. But never did I hop in and think, uh oh, that didn't happen. But it certainly can happen. You called your assistant at one point a little panicked that you weren't getting picked up somewhere. Oh, I whined to my assistant yes. all the time. Uh, yes, I, one day I said, I'm going to have to drink my own urine today. It's come to that because I've been standing there for so long and was out of water and had to walk all the way back up to the little town to get more water and go in gas station lavatories and brush my teeth. It, it was the opposite of how I usually travel, but I, I'm really happy I did it and I felt proud of myself that at 66 years old I did that. And so I figured, well, my street cred went up a little. When you told people you were going to do this, how did they respond to it? When you told friends of yours you were going to do it? Well, they laughed, but most everyone was dead set against the idea. And, and, but they didn't want to tell me that. But as the day got closer that I was going to do it, I could feel their concern and their horror. And even my criminal friends, which I do have some, they were the most uptight. They were the ones that said, carry a gun, get maze, don't do it. Uh, so they started to make me a little nervous, but uh, I, I just tried not to listen to it. And I told very, very few people I was going to do it because I didn't want it to leak. And even when I was doing it, when Here We Go Magic, which they certainly had the right to, to tweet it, they had picked me up and everything, and the story went really viral. I still never confirmed until I actually arrived and said it was true once I got there. Is there a movie in this? 
Sure, me standing there, and then uh, while I'm waiting for the cars, I imagine the best and the worst. Sure. <laughs> I think reading the book, if you like my older movies, it's like my older movies, the fictitious part, very much. The, the characters that I imagine picking me up um, are, are very much like characters in my movies, and they're like little movies. And then the real-life thing is more like a documentary. John Waters will be at City Winery this Saturday night, sharing some holiday cheer in ways that we all need this time of year. John, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. You're listening to NapperBroadcasting.com.